Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Jay Stevens Podcast. This is episode 53, dedicated to a man that led Major League Baseball with 53 home runs last season as a rookie, Mr. Pete Alonzo. And as always, thank you for listening and downloading to another episode of the podcast. On today's episode, we have part two of our best of 2019 series to close out the year. If you have not listened to parts one just yet, go back and check that out. That came out on Thursday of last week. Part two, we're going to replace portions of previous interviews that we have had on the podcast. My dad was our first guest, and then we had Garrett Grandy, one of my college classmates, former college classmates, and then Mr. Ronnie Roberts, a guy that I played football with back in high school. We are going to replay portions of that of those interviews today on the podcast to close out the year. So without further ado, let's go ahead and take a trip to Indianapolis, Indiana. From there, we're going to go to the state of New York and then west to Chicago to replay literally some of my favorite moments on the podcast in 2019. Go back to your high school days. Those were many moons ago, as one of, <laughs> one of my teachers used to say. Um, you were the starting point guard for for Elmhurst. Um, was it two years, junior and senior year? Uh-huh. Okay. And I know that you had some stories from that. Um, not trying to embarrass you now. Not sure if I've heard this story or not. Um, but if you were to go back in your high school days, what was, who was the person or the team that gave you um, say so the the business the the best where you you were you were playing back and forth and all of a sudden you knew as soon as the tip off as soon as they got the ball in hand that first time you could do anything with them. Um, that was that would probably be uh, Eugene Parker. You, I'm, I graduated from Fort Wayne Elmhurst in 1974. Uh, Eugene Parker was the leading scorer in the city. Eugene Parker went on to play for Purdue University. Um, and in, I think he was drafted by San Antonio, but he chose to go get his law degree. And he was one of the most successful um, uh, uh, football representatives uh, mm-hmm. in in the country. He had some elite athletes like uh, uh, Rod Woodson, Deion Sanders, Emmett Smith. They were all his clients. Unfortunately, uh, Eugene uh, passed away about three years ago. But in high school, he was the, you know, you knew he was going to get 35 <laughs> points when the game started. It just depends on who he wanted to embarrass along the way. And uh, unfortunately, I was uh, one of the ones that he embarrassed along the way. <laughs> um, piggybacking off of that, Sam, one of the best ones that um, was there in the city at that time back in Fort Wayne. Um, you and I have gone to quite a few high school games together. Um, seeing guys like Chris Wilkes who went on to UCLA, Kyle Guy with Mr. Basketball went on to Virginia. Um, we've seen lots and lots of athletes throughout my my high school career and even mm-hmm. after that. Um, and then even going back when I was in school, you got Greg Golden, you got Mike Conley, Eric Gordon. Um, even when I was gone, Gary Harris came in and, and ran mm-hmm. the city. Um, how do you think today's players, um, high school, college, NBA, compared to what it was when you were growing up and saying – um, is, are they better? Are they worse? Are they the same? Is there a, div- a divide? How do you view today's basketball players versus back in the day? They're better. There's no question that they're better because everybody is building off the next generation. Everybody is taking uh, their cues from the previous generation. They're perfecting the skills that they had, but then adding to. And that's the way it should be. That's the way things evolve. You expect them to be better. Uh, children, uh, kids today, they they train better. Uh, 
eat better, some of them, not all of them, but they eat better, they understand the game better, much better shooters. I mean, we didn't have the three-point shot when I was true, uh, true. in high school, and, and now you see middle school kids who can uh, hit the three-point uh, shot. So I think they're better athletes as far as uh, their I basketball IQ. I, I think every generation, I don't think you any have anybody uh, from any generation that understands their game okay. any better than anyone else. But as far as running faster, jumping higher, uh, each generation does that better. Do you think the AAU format or the program has aided in the development of these players that we are watching now? I think, yes, that it has. Although I think um, it's put an undue burden on uh, a lot of kids in that uh, everybody can't afford the travel. They can't afford the hotel rooms. Uh, they can't afford to, to get the sponsors. And so what you end up doing is that you, you see a lot of elite teams and and then the mediocre get left behind. But even like when you were uh, leaving high school, anybody, I shouldn't use the word anybody, but uh, and a lot of kids can play college basketball at NAI level, D3, D2. Um, they don't all have to be D, uh, D1 or mm -hmm. in the power conferences. Uh, and so a lot of times AAU is just uh, is for those D1 athletes and the D2, D3 athletes kind of get pushed behind. Yeah. But a college degree from a D3 school is just as valuable mm -hmm. as uh, you get from a Big Ten school. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I didn't get to talk to you about this before. Um, I don't, you may have seen it in the paper, but there was a guy named, J I think his name's Jaden Ivy. Jaden or Jalen Ivy's going to Mishawaka Marion, mm -hmm. what was going to. Um, took the same route as Keon Brooks did the previous year. Mm -hmm. Keon Brooks played at Fort Wayne uh, Northside, ended up transferring to La La Mira up in, up in the northwest Indiana area. Um, Jaden Ivy, same thing. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the situation was at his school. We got more inside scoop at Fort Wayne. We got family up there. Um, but Jaden Ivey decided to go from Mishawaka Marion, potential Mr. Basketball candidate, just like Keon Brooks was, mm -hmm. to go to La Lamira his senior year. And we were we had talked about going to the Hall of Fame Classic in Newcastle, Mishawaka Marion, which is it's a program, a, 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 a one-day event where you have to apply, your school has to apply to play there. Mm -hmm. And they're looking for, not just for a good team, looking for a star. They want a star to go there, Newcastle, the biggest high school gym in the country. And I was thinking about that, and we had talked about that numerous times. Mm -hmm. But I'm thinking about Jaden Ivey, um, Chris, not Chris Wilkes, excuse me. He stayed at North Central, but uh, Keon Brooks. They both potential Mr. Basketball candidates in a year where you probably have five or six guys um, that could be Mr. Basketball. It's not like there's one guy that's going to be the front runner the whole time. And you go from a school where, you're, where you've been with your boys the whole time, you've been playing with the same guys, um, sometimes since you were a little kid, to go from your school to go – play to a prep school where you're forsaking not just your senior, your senior year with your boys with your teammates that you're you could possibly go to a state title um you're also forsaking the chance to win mr basketball and you and i discussed this where mr basketball holds weight to a lot of fans mm -hmm. doesn't hold the same weight with a lot of players and i just in my mind thinking about what he could be losing now granted he's going to get everyday training focused around basketball folks focus around the sport that he loves um he's not going to be having to um th there's 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 class but it's not the class aspect where it's like your homework and all this stuff they still mm -hmm. they still do that but you're getting more 
basketball-centered training. And I think that's great, but if you're going to be forsaking your senior year, potential Mr. Basketball, potential Indiana All-Star, where you can name, I could go down a list of guys that have been not, that didn't maybe, maybe they weren't Indiana Mr. Basketball, but they were Indiana All-Stars. They were ready to wear that jersey, um, go up against Kentucky, and just beat them. I mean, it was more of a pride thing for the state. And I, I, I kind of agree with you the same thing. AAU balls kind of changed the aspect of the landscape of the mindset of players. But also, I think this translated into our state, our city, where these guys are really, really good. But they're not – they want. They think, oh, I need to go go somewhere else to stay. And they're forsaken like, well, I'm going to another place, a prep school, more basketball center training. But the ability to be Mr. Basketball, the ability to be Indiana All-Star – it's not the same that it used to be. Why do you think that? Why do you think that kids nowadays don't cherish the ability? And I've heard Kyle Guy say that he wanted to be Mr. Basketball, wanted to be an all star. He saw weight. He saw that that being a very prestigious award. Why do you think kids nowadays in our state don't value that like they used to? Because I've heard stories, guys, back in the day, they they wanted, they lived for that sure, moment. Sure. And again, I, this is the outside looking in, and this is just an opinion because I have no idea what it, what goes into uh, making that decision, the parents, the players, and the advisors, and all the people that get, that go into making that decision for a high school senior to leave his high school uh, and then go and play at a prep school. Uh, just from the outside looking in, uh, my question would be, how much better is that particular player going to be at the end of his prep school um, season as opposed to being at the end of his high school season. Is he going to be that much better? Because, uh, granted, he's probably going to play against much better competition because everybody that he's playing against at the prep school level is probably D1, mm-hmm. a ball player, as opposed to a high school schedule where y- you might have a D1 ball player on every other team. Mm-hmm. And I, I get that. Um, but that kid will be probably playing all summer against D1, but as a former school teacher, public school teacher, uh, I think there's something valuable about uh, your senior year. The I'm just not talking basketball. I'm talking the prom. I'm talking about all the other senior activities that you have uh, with students that you've gone through, maybe middle school with, high school together. And to give all of that up for one season of basketball where you think that I don't know what the goal is. I think a lot of these players going into their senior year, it's already solidified where they rank as far as college is concerned. So it's not like you're uh, in the top 100 and uh, going in your senior year and going by prep school. Where are you going to go after that? Yeah. yeah. So that's what I'm saying. I, I think that you give up the senior year, the the graduations, like I said, the prom, all the senior activities. And then when you talk basketball, uh, to be on the Indiana All-Star team is an honor. And then to be Mr. Basketball of Indiana, uh, that's something you'll remember far beyond your basketball Mm -hmm. years. And people will remember far beyond your basketball years. And uh, to me, looking back, I can't. Uh, to me, when those those athletes get in their fifties, they will. I can't imagine them saying, "Man, I wish I'd played at my high school my senior year." Yeah, yeah. You were. Um, I know you coached track. 
um, back in Fort Wayne. Did you coach any other sports? I'm, it slipped my memory right yeah, now. Yeah, I coach. I coach one year of ninth grade basketball at Elmhurst okay. High School. Um, I was a. I was also a football coach, a middle school football coach, and a middle school track coach. Okay. Um, you've talked about numerous times some of the some of the track athletes probably because you guys won won different championships but you talked about how they uh remember you down the road say Mm -hmm. mr stevens look at this look Mm -hmm. at that families things like that Mm -hmm. um take some time to talk about one of your i'm not trying to say single one out (laughs) that somebody may listen to this but um talk about maybe a few of your favorite um let's stick with track Mm -hmm. track athletes um that you had back in the day wow you're talking um in the 80s and 90s so you here we are in 2019 so you you know that's quite a while ago a lot of these uh a lot of these students are in their 40s now and uh i remember talia barwick i remember uh she was an outstanding runner did well in high school kim luby who's in the a lot of these girls ran for northrop high school okay and they won state several times and they had okay. run for run for me in, in middle school, uh, Tanya and Sonia Shepard, who are identical twins, mm-hmm. they were also on Northrop's uh, track team that okay. uh, Coach Blanks coached them at Northrop High School. Uh, so they were some outstanding runners. I'm trying to think of some boys. Uh, I coach boys track also. But the girls were the ones that really excelled in high school at Northrop where they won several state championships. So I, I remember those girls. Okay. Um, you also were privileged to have a couple boys that played sports. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the first sport that I ended up playing was soccer. Remember, you had us, yeah. I, you had us playing soccer, baseball, basketball. I didn't start playing football till seventh grade mm-hmm. because I missed. I, I remember that I missed soccer, soccer uh, try signups that year. So I was like, let's go ahead and play football at Belzer. Had no idea what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, had no idea how to put my pads into my pants. Um, but you being a sports dad, having one of your sons, my brother, playing football above the collegiate level, um, what are some things you remember most about being a sports dad, um, sitting in the stands, or sometimes you had the camcorder out recording games? What are some of your, what are some things you remember as being a sports dad? Well, I know what sports uh, do for young men and in the maturation of young men, uh, understanding what it's like to be on a team, understanding what it's like for other people to depend on your talents to help to contribute toward the success of the team. I know that that's what you all were learning. Also making friends and uh, understanding how uh, a, a coach will give you a plan and say, let's go out and do that plan and just enjoy enjoy it while you enjoy it. I know uh, you guys played a lot of soccer. And then once you decide to play football, I think you had a lot of success, especially at the middle school level um, and also uh, a lot at the high school level. And so it's nothing like a father to be up in the stands and and see his sons, excuse me, perform out on the field watching you play basketball. And even as you're an adult, I mean, sometimes you were with groups and you'd go down to Banker's Life Fieldhouse. You weren't playing with the Pacers, but you were playing after (laughs) the Pacers. (laughs) But you were playing, you played on the floor after the Pacers had played late at night around 11 o'clock. But, uh, you know, just to see you out there and to cheer you on, I've always enjoyed that. 
all right, Garrett, at one time the Patriots had Jimmy Garoppolo, Jacoby Brissett, and they still have Tom Brady. How crazy is it to think about that two guys that are backups on that squad are now starters, one guy's undefeated, one guy is hurt currently, Brissett, which I don't like, but our team is actually, when we play at our best, we can probably beat anybody in the NFL because of our defense. And then you right. have well, – that's, that's the Colts, that is. And then you have um, Tom Brady. Um, how crazy to think about that those, those guys were on the same squad? And then how crazy is it to think that the two that were backups, they're, they're now starters, and they're leading their teams better than anybody could have, could have imagined? Yeah, it's, it's really a testament to the Patriots organization, Belichick. There's others that are involved, uh, McDaniels. Really, a, probably a lot of credit should go to Josh McDaniels because – course he was a part of that group that hey, we developed don't, don't say that don't say the name here in indianapolis he left us uh, hanging left oh us i know i know i know <laughs> he did that was that was pretty bad yeah yeah i uh i mean don't get me wrong as a patriots fan as patriots fans would would uh i think you know maybe a little payback from the flake gate <laughs> but uh for that saga but uh, but yeah yeah that's a that's a curse word in in, in Indianapolis I'm sure oh big time uh, big so time. we'll just call we'll just call him J M for now uh, I like it <laughs> but but of course a lot of credit goes to him and 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 uh, it's really unbelievable of course everyone um, kind of expected Garoppolo to do well um, I think that was an expectation I mean. Of course, right now, I look at that team, I think that Niners defense, and there's other players that are carrying that team. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's tough to say that the reason why they're undefeated is because of Jimmy Garoppolo. I will, I will say that honestly. Um, he came in during that season when Brady was suspended those first four games, played really well, and now he's in a really great situation again. But it's tough to say with, with that situation that he's in, is, is Jimmy that good? Uh, he's certainly, I think he's 15-2 and two or 16-2 and two in his first start, which is unbelievable. Uh, one of the best starts ever, of any, any career ever. And for him to come back from the injury that he had uh, and play, play the way he's playing is, is pretty incredible. Um, Bursette is a major surprise. Um, I don't think anybody, including I'm sure including yourself, thought that when Andrew Luck left, you would be looking at this Colts team and saying, hey, man, we've, we're one of the best teams in the league. And I don't think Not anybody thought that. Mm-hmm. I think everyone thought it's over. You know, I mean, it's back to rebuilding mode. We're going to, you know, win three games. You know, uh, And, of course, you didn't even mention, but Brian Hoyer was the Patriots' backup. <laughs> and he's starting of so you've got, you know, the Colts, the, yes, JM didn't kind of burn you, but you've got two, two former Patriots quarterbacks playing there and uh he's serviceable and of course so it's really unbelievable the the fact that those three were on the same team and look at them now uh of course you've got i'm sure you've got to give some credit to brady because of course with older quarterbacks they are always you know working with the backups working with the younger quarterbacks and of course brady always gives a lot of credit to hoyer for working with him he said you know he was incredible team so i can i can see the reason why the Colts brought Hoyer in because Hoyer can help Bursett and, and, and can work with him and can mentor him. And though Hoyer's not, you know, as talented as, you know, Brady, Bursett, Garoppolo, his mind and, 
and his uh, experience, I'm sure, are being a great help to someone like a Brissett. I am just – I'm happy for Brissett. I'm happy for Garoppolo. Uh, I'm excited about it. I, I think it's wonderful. I'm glad that there is another team in the AFC that's making a run, you know, because it's like uh, we had talked about, uh, you know, we missed the, you know, you missed the Brady-Manning rivalry. We missed that, those years of, you know, every year we were, you know, they're going to play in the AFC championship game or the divisional round or, or, you know, when they saw each other in the regular season, they were going to be undefeated or have one loss or, you know, they're playing for home field advantage, and it was just back and forth every year, which I think that that, that rivalry is the greatest ever. Manning and Br- I don't think there's anything that c- compares to that for the length of time and the amount of big games that they played in. As far as those three, it's, it's really incredible, uh, or Garoppolo and Brissett, uh, what they're doing. And I think it's really exciting. Uh, I think it's really good for the league to have, you know, young quarterbacks competing. Uh, of course, I, I foresee that in the next year or two years, uh, if you look at the AFC landscape, I mean, Brady's 43, 42, 43, going to be 43. I'm like that. Of course, he's going to be – he's going to be – yeah, I know. He's going to be retiring soon. Uh, I know people don't want to think that but in New England, but he is definitely – you can tell there's, there's, a, there's some age there. Uh, some throws, he's shying away from hits. You just It's just a natural thing when you get older. You don't want to get hit. So, right. <laughs> so I foresee that a team like the Colts with that that offensive line is unbelievable. You've got Marlon Mack, who is, who is great. You know, he's great. Bursette's on the rise. You've got a, co- a, brand, you know, a decent brand-new coach, basically, is coming in there fresh. You're talking about a team that's on the rise. And so I foresee that and that team just went into Kansas City and beat Kansas City with a healthy Mahomes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and really beat them up pretty good. Uh, yeah. And I think a lot of teams are going to look – you know, if I was watching tape on the Chiefs, I would look at that game and say, what do we have to do with, to do what they did that night and get after him and, and, and limit him? I mean, he still made plays, but what a, what a win that was. That was spectacular. And – I think that it's the story of the year. I really do. I think the fact that you have Luck retiring and everyone saying the Colts don't have a chance, they're in the division with the Texans, and, and they don't have a chance in the AFC. The fact that they're right there in the AFC is really incredible. I think it's the story of the year. I really do. And, yeah. uh, and, and of course, the Niners, too, uh, with that group, with Nick Bosa and what he's doing. But um, certainly with the Colts, I think to me that's that was the that's the surprise of the year. That's the story of the year, and what and what they're able to do, and for them to even you know to say, are they a Super Bowl team? I don't know, but they can look back at this year at the end of the year and say, wow, we've got a lot to be happy about and build on. And I respect Andrew Luck even more now, looking back to say, hey, maybe he saw some things in this team that nobody else saw say, hey, man, we're going to be pretty good with or without me, and yeah. maybe even better without me, uh, with, with, without the, you know, the dealing with the injuries and, and, and such. And, and so uh, more power to him on that and uh, with Andrew Luck. But, yeah, I think that's the story of the year, and it's pretty incredible what those three are doing. And, of course, you know, with Brady, um, he's still, I think, second in the league in yardage, which is insane. Um, but you know, he, 
I, you know, 40, I mean, 42 years, but I think, a, I think a, a lot of that is the, you know, I won't, I don't, you know, a lot of people say, oh, he's a system quarterback. I think everyone's a system quarterback to an extent. Yeah. Uh, cause you, cause you're, you know, look, you look at Manning, he was in the right system. I mean, Brady's in the right system. Nobody would argue that Russell Wilson is in the right, right system, which was my pick to win MVP. Before, you know, just to pat myself on the back. I should say <laughs> Russell Wilson <laughs> was going to win MVP at the beginning of the year, and I think he's going. I think he's going to win MVP, uh, especially if tomorrow they be, if they beat the 49ers tomorrow. I I think that that's you know a lock for him with the MVP race. Whereas, and honestly, besides the Colts, um, Lamar Jackson uh, is also right up there with you know being that highlight of the year. Like who he he's saw insane. that coming? He's insane. Yeah, I mean, just last year, everyone was saying he's a running back or he's a you know he should be a wide receiver. He's not a quarterback, and then he comes out week one. I, now, granted, it was against the Miami Dolphins, which you know, but but he still came out. I think he threw five or six touchdowns in that game, and mm-hmm. and everyone like, wait a minute here, <laughs> this guy's got an arm. So you know, and he's got a great coach. Harbaugh's been there. Harbaugh's been there a long time. And they've got a good young, you know, group of players. You got Hollywood Brown. I I think in the next year or two, uh, the landscape of the AFC is really going to shift. You got Kansas City; it's going to be a powerhouse, no doubt about that. But I think you're going to see a lot of teams competing in the AFC that you haven't seen lately, and that uh, that dynasty grip of the Patriots is going to loosen a lot because uh, it's just natural. You know, he's he's going to retire. He's and some people think he's going to go somewhere else. I don't think he's going to go somewhere else. I think he's going to retire, and uh, and then we'll see from there. But you'll see a lot of those other teams that'll you know compete in the AFC uh, for championships. Yeah, I don't get the whole talk of him going somewhere else. I don't see the reason why. I get Montana went somewhere somewhere else, and other quarterbacks. Brett Favre yeah, Montana went to two other teams. <laughs> no, no, no. True, that's true. Yeah. But you get like these all-time greats. They go to other teams, and it's the team sending them up. Well, Brett Favre was stupid. He didn't know what he wanted to do. Yeah. He just kept saying, "I want to play. I don't want to play." All of a sudden, he's back on someone's team. Um, but I don't see Brady with the some of the love affair. You may want to say that him and him and Belichick have, than him and Kraft have. I don't see him going somewhere else because he's still playing as well as he is, and he's been there so long, it's almost like why would you – If I can see if he dropped down and he was like a trash quarterback, he was horrible, and he wasn't able to do anything, like almost like worse than Peyton Manning was in his last year. But we haven't seen that from Tom Brady. So to think that he would go somewhere else when he's still winning in every single year, his defense finds a way to win games, they find a way to win the Super Bowls, why would yeah. you leave? I mean, if it's up to me, I don't understand right. – I don't. I wouldn't leave. I don't He's understand why people think he would leave. Well, he said in one recent interview, he said, "I don't know why people are saying this. My contract situation has been the same for <laughs> for so long, and and I know he wants his. You know, obviously, he deserves his due. He wants his due, but he's his wife is worth so much money. I don't think it's about the money. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's about he. Well, him and Belichick and Kraft, they all don't like each other." I think that's a joke. I really do. I think that there was some, you know, issues when it came with Garoppolo leaving. I think that's a that was a big thing for Belichick. I'm sure, you know, deep down he wants to prove that he can win without Brady. Uh, but yeah. I don't think that Brady at his age with with the 
with the way things are, that he's going to just up and go somewhere else. People say, well, he sold his home. Well, people don't realize he just bought a home in Connecticut. <laughs> so it's not like he, <laughs> you know, he didn't just go buy a, a home and, and uh, you know, somewhere else in California or, or even if he did, it could just be he's, it's, he, he's moving on. I don't see him playing until he's 45. I don't. I know that that's, they've said that. He said that for so long. Um, I think there is some frustration there um, with the turnover at receiver. I think Brady got really close with Antonio Brown. Uh, yeah. and, and, and everyone says that. You know, he gets close with his, the players, even players like James Harrison and others, you know, players you, you would never think you would have seen in a Patriots uniform, uh, you know, coming back and saying, oh, yeah, he was a great teammate. He was very helpful. Uh, so I, I look back and I think, you know, same way with Manning, you know. Uh, Manning is the same way. I think anybody you put with him is just going to be better. <laughs> Any player you put with him, they're going to be a better person. They're going to be a better player. And so uh, it's, it's now Manning, of course, went to a different team. But he was younger, yeah. a little younger. Yeah. And he still had some years left. And we don't have an Andrew Luck in, in the wings. Garoppolo, to me, I would say Andrew Luck is a better player than Garoppolo is. But he just couldn't stay healthy. Um, right. I certainly think if, if, if you had a healthy Luck right now, the Col- I think the Colts would win the Super Bowl. <laughs> if, if Luck yeah. was there and healthy, I think, that's, I think they would win the Super Bowl. I really do. Because that guy, he, he is a genius when it comes to that position. And, but anyways... With Brady, I don't foresee him going going anywhere else. I think – do I think this year is the last year? I do. I actually do think this year is the last year. Interesting. I think he, because when you listen to his interviews, he's talking about, you know, one day I know I'm going to wake up and it's going to be all over and, you know, I've got to make preparations for the future. Whereas before, if you asked him, hey, He's like, yeah, man, I'm playing until I'm 45. There was no doubt. It was a no-doubt answer. No, I'm still going to play next year. But this time, there's, it seems like there's a lot more. He's reflecting. Uh, he's talking about his kids. His kids aren't getting any younger. Uh, his wife certainly wants him to retire. <laughs> She's been wanting him to retire for, for 10 years, you know, <laughs> come, come, you know, be home with his family. So what I would like to see is my, my dream situation – Years in the future, maybe, is, you know, having Manning be a coach and Brady be a coach somewhere. <laughs> That's what I would yeah. love to see. Uh, I think, personally, uh, between the two of them, I think Manning would be a better coach um, I, I, because he, he's a genius. The, uh, the, the, the way he ran those, those off, those offenses that he ran in Indianapolis in those years were just unreal. I mean, the today – Everything is so offensively geared, you know, with the, mm-hmm. with the penalties. And, but he was putting up numbers in a time when it wasn't like that. <laughs> and yeah. he would just blow you off the field in that dome. And, <laughs> you know, I, 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 he's right, you know, obviously right up there is one of the greatest of all time. So, but I, I would like to see that, you know, again, you know, somewhere around, some, somehow, some way that rivalry restored. <laughs> So, It'd be amazing, man. It'd be amazing yeah, to just maybe, maybe watch football or something like grow up and <laughs> keep it going. Competing, like competing in high school and stuff like that. That'd be, that'd be fun yeah. to watch. 
you live in Chicago. I live in Indianapolis. With the Colts not playing today, where I'm watching the Bears play right now, I know there's been a lot of talk all year about Mitchell Trubisky, the Bears, their offense, what's going on. What are some things you have heard or you have seen about this offense, the Bears, and primarily Mitchell, Mitchell Trubisky? Well, I, I guess we could start off by saying, you know, Mitchell Trubisky, you know, having the Bears move up a couple of years ago to take him, you know, as their first pick in the draft, it kind of got people's heads scratching as far as why would they trade up to get a guy from North Carolina to where they could have drafted Mahomes out of Texas Tech or they could have went with Deshaun Watson out of Clemson, you know, coming off of that uh, national championship game. So, uh, I mean, people here in Chicago are obviously scratching their heads, one, as far as why is the lack of production from Trubisky and a number of other players that are on the Bears offense. Now, they, I was watching the pregame as well as some of the statistics in the early part of the, the Bears game, rather, and they said that he averages 176 yards passing per game. Oh, wow. And then also 5.6 yards per attempt, which <laughs> – you know, heading into those stats, you know, it got me thinking one of two things or a couple of things, rather. Uh, one, he doesn't have a good quarterback vision or consistency to throw in the ball, or he doesn't trust his offensive line to give him the ability to make plays on the field or dump it off instead of getting sacked. So, you know, for me, um, and if you don't mind me going carrying on into the Bears team and in, in, uh, in total, no, I'll go right ahead. Uh, you know, the Bears team, uh, in my opinion, is pretty much in the middle half of the NFL rankings. You know, their offense mm-hmm. is probably, uh, if not dead last, you know, I guess you can argue, you know, New York Jets, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Cleveland Browns of all of all teams, rather. Um, to be ranked in those teams, is it's kind of a little embarrassing because you go out and get Trubisky expecting the team to be in the top half of the rankings, but they're not. Right. And then also their, their defense is kind of what's holding them together. You know, with Chuck Pagano, you know, all indie fans are familiar with Chuck Pagano. Um, and by his guidance, you know, they're ranked between eight and ninth in the NFL in defense. That's total defense. Obviously, the rankings split between, you know, pass rush, run pat, you know, run tackle, that kind of jazz. So um, some people would say, you know, the lack of success is due to the coaching I mean, obviously, you can argue if you're just a regular NFL fan, but, you know, you and me watching it every day, watching it all the time, you know, we can pretty much specify it takes every player to come together to play as a team. 100%. So if Trubisky goes down, obviously, you got Chase Daniel coming in, but it's not like he's, you know, Tom Brady or anybody to put up huge numbers or, you know, give you the wow factor, you know, as far as showing you how a quarterback should play. Uh, but obviously, with that being said, you know, you need Tariq Cohen to stand out, uh, Allen Robinson, uh, David Montgomery. You know, there's a number of other players. You know, Khalil Mack can only do so much. So, you know, with that, it's kind of the Bears. It's kind of a – I wouldn't say a one-and-done year. It's pretty much – they're four and six. You know, they're leading 19-7 to seven over the Giants. The Giants aren't, you know, a ridiculously good team either. Obviously, they have talent, but at the end of the day – you need to be 19 to seven against the Eagles or 19 to seven against the Cowboys, you know, to actually put yourself in that position to, you know, succeed and move up in the rankings and consider yourself a future playoff contender. Correct. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's my, my, you know, indie, you know, roots, uh, you know, on the Chicago bears. <laughs> now, when I was thinking about this and Trubisky, the bears, their offense, all, all, all everything that goes into that, 
I was just wondering, and I want to ask you this question, something that popped in my head. Would mm-hmm. you consider this just an early year, an early career slump? I mean, all, most of your good quarterbacks or great quarterbacks in year one, year two, year three, sometimes year right. four, if they get that far, a lot of times they have a slump. Peyton, we all watched, you and I both watched Peyton Manning throughout his career, and he had an early career slump. Now he bounced back and well, he's an all-timer, but would you consider Trubisky, he could be a good quarterback, but this is just one of those fluke years where he's just slumping and not playing up to the caliber of quarterback that he can be. Uh, you know, that's a good point. I'm glad you kind of brought that up as far as not necessarily similarities to Peyton. I mean, heck, Tom Brady was handed the, you know, the Patriots on a silver platter as far as what, you know, Drew Blitzo had already established already and, you know, that ridiculous defense. But at the same time, getting back to Trubisky, you know, he's in what, year three, year four, if I'm not mistaken? Year three. Uh, so, you know, being in year three, I mean, look at Russell Wilson coming out of Wisconsin. You know, as far as he didn't have a slump coming into the league, he had a really good offensive line. You know, of course, he had Marshawn Lynch and then their defense, you know, the Legion of Boom. I mean, most people are saying that's the best defense, you know, since the 85 Bears. So yeah. for me, uh, with Trubisky, I think he he's getting hurt because he's holding the ball too long. Obviously, his inner, you know, his injury, in, injury, sorry, his injury <laughs> consistency is one to none. Uh, earlier in this game, you know, with the with the Bears and Giants, he got tackled and his leg kind of buckled a little bit, and he was up limping around. So they show Chase Daniels getting loose around on the bench, and you know, long story short, I wouldn't say it's a an early career slump. I don't just, you know, I think Mitchell Trubisky had a hard time adjusting from you know, jumping from North Carolina to being, you know, the quote-unquote superstar outcoming into the NFL to get, you know, with the Bears. So, for me, um, obviously, I've been trusting your offensive line. You know, as far as me being an ex-offensive lineman, you know, we went to the same high school and played football together. But, yeah, yeah. you know, for me, my objective is to, you know, make sure that, you know, Zach Morris our the time didn't wind up on his back all the time. So, you know, I didn't get to play on Friday nights like I wanted to, but that's a different story. So, you know, getting back to Trubisky, I think for him, he's just scared. Like, he's running scared. Like, if he can't get rid of the ball, he get, he's getting tackled. Or, you know, for me, like I said, injuries are pretty much going to shorten his career. Um, I would say maybe by year six or seven, he might retire. That's just me speaking because of the rate that he's getting hit. You know, he's 20 for 34 for 250. This is a different quarterback than we've seen since week one. And, you know, for him, you know, getting those guys, you know, like Allen Robinson and Taylor Gabriel and then Anthony Miller, I think the tight end involved, takes the burden off of him. And then it gives the city of Chicago and the Chicago Bears courage. But like, hey, yeah, we drafted a decent quarterback. He just needs to have confidence in himself, and he needs to be able to get rid of the ball. I was watching this game. Well, I started. I actually was able to watch it early on uh, from the beginning. Sometimes church kind of overlaps when I get home late, sure. things like that. But a lot of the throws that he was throwing today, it wasn't like – sometimes it was just him making like regular like quarterback mistakes or you're not going to be perfect every single game. But a lot of the balls were right on target. I saw he hit the his tight end right in the hands, and then he dropped it. Then the, the interception that he threw when he was in the red zone – that's going to go out down as an interception and look as a knock on him, but it could have been a mishap. It looked like it was a miscommunication between receivers with poor spacing. You allow Ogletree to basically defend two guys, be right in the middle of them and get the pick. Hopefully this is just a sign of things to come down the road, but I don't know, man. I mean, today he's playing decent, 
like you said, better than what you what what we expect. But I kind of like this Trubisky we're seeing today, except for like you said, he holds the ball too much. I'm sure you probably see more Bears stuff than I do. I'm, I I watch more Colts when the Colts and Bears are on TV. Is him holding the ball too long? Is that something that happens every single week? Uh, I mean, from the games I've watched, you know, in the past, you know, like I said, it's, he's he's scared to where he assumes that his offensive line is only going to hold for three or four seconds. Now, your average or higher average quarterback tends to get the ball out between two and a half and three and a half seconds. Now, I mean, look at Tom Brady, he's out in, you know, two and a half seconds. You know, if Wilson can't get the ball out, he's running around. The same with Mahomes. You know, that's that's what separates the good quarterbacks from the great quarterbacks. And you also mentioned the interception in the end zone. That, for me, in my opinion, that's his lack of uh, quarterback vision. You know, his QB vision. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he's not six foot. I mean, he's, what, six two, six three, somewhere Something in like there? That. Yeah. So he's able to see over his huge offensive line. And uh, maybe he didn't see Ogletree. You know, he was sitting back there like a Sydney Duck. So, you know, for me, he should have dumped it off to Tariq Cohen or he should have dumped it off somewhere to where if they got in fourth down territory, you know, uh, bless their kicker, um, you know, he could settle, he could settle for three points. So, you know, in my opinion, it's just having the courage and then going out there and playing like you're playing for your job. So for me, I wouldn't say it's a one and done year for Trubisky, but maybe they'll go the different route and put all their faith in Chase Daniel. Yeah. You never know, man. You never know. Let's move from one quarterback in the Midwest to another and Jacoby Brissett, a guy going, who going into the year, no one expected to start. We expected him to be our backup quarterback, even though Andrew <clears> Luck missed training camp. Training camp. Um, we all expected that no matter what Jacoby Brissett, he may start week one, week two, but Andrew Luck would come back. Andrew Luck's not here. Jacoby Brissett's playing this season. Been okay. Had, some, had a good game. Been kind of better than what we expected at times, somewhat of how we expected at times. How do you view Jacoby Brissett and how he's played this year? Um, with Jacoby Brissett, I mean, he sat behind Tom Brady. So he sat behind, you know, quote unquote, and everybody's opinion besides mine is the greatest quarterback to ever play. Now, people can argue that, you know, Tom Brady, you know, had the fundamentals and everything to, you know, continue to play at a high rate or a high level to where he was one of the slowest quarterbacks to ever come out of the NFL draft. And plus, he was a six rounder out of Michigan. So, most people specify what if he wound up, we you know, with the Cleveland Browns or wound up with somebody else besides the Patriots. What did he have six rings? Obviously, people can argue and say he, he could have one or two, but the, the defining factor is he wouldn't have six rings. Right. Now, with, with Brissett, you know, coming out of NC State, uh, you know, there was a high, uh, you know, a high momentum change from NC State to the pros. And he was probably jumping for joy when he got drafted by the Patriots. But <laughs> You know, when the Colts got him, you know, it was pretty much they were serving him up on a silver platter specifying, hey, you backed up Tom Brady. We've seen previous games to where you've kind of lit it up when they were blowing people out. So why not have you, you know, have you come in and back up Andrew Luck? And, you know, with Andrew Luck, we'll hit on that for a little bit. So for a moment, rather, you know, Andrew Luck was a big blow to the team, uh, obviously because he retired. But, you know, with that, the Colts had so much to look forward to, uh, obviously making the deep run in the playoffs, having luck at quarterback, you know, pretty much once he retired, that's old news, you know, Brissett's up, he's the new sheriff in town. So for me, Brissett, he has played mediocre, but he's had, in, in my opinion, the best offensive line of the second behind Dallas and Kansas City, you know, to bring somebody in like Quentin Nelson, you know, one player to come in and be like, hey, guys, let's go out and knock these guys off the line pancake them and have fun while we're doing it you know for me what's you know what's 
capitalizing for Brissett is that offensive line. You know, as long as they can hold for 10 or 15 seconds, however long it takes Brissett to get the ball out, then he should be a superstar. But at the same time, his inconsistency, you know, this last game, he went 16 for 25 for a buck 29. They relied more on the run game. You know, obviously Marlon Mack or um, Mack is out. I'm sorry. Um, you know, Jonathan Williams rushed for, you know, 104 yards. You know, Naeem Hines ran for another 51. So they kind of relied on the running game this time. But for me, his his um, his hurdle is he can't close out games. Obviously, he can't get, you know, he can't get off of, you know, the bench. You know, he has to, you know, struggle, scramble for his life if he's not passing it or running it or rather to where they can't get off the field and convert on third down. And that's kind of what's killing them. So the main thing that I kind of circled in my notes here is the fact that they have a hard time closing out games. They can't capitalize on third down and they just can't really make the plays when they need to be made. You know, obviously their key objective, T.Y. Hilton, one of the fastest guys in the NFL, probably one of the more consistent hands, but yet he was targeted three times for 18 yards. You know, Eric Ebron had four, you know, four uh, receptions for 44 yards. That's a tight end. You know, Jack Doyle, the same, had three balls. You know, obviously the list can go on as far as the achievements the Colts could have had. Right, if right. They would have, if they would have capitalized on third down. Now, obviously, you know, going against Deshaun Watson, um, you know, Hopkins, you know, um, Fuller out at Notre Dame, you know, they could have went for far more points than 20 points on the Colts to where, you know, the defense is coming around, but they weren't able to get to Watson. You know, the key thing is getting to Watson and, you know, with Brissett, um, you know, just stay consistent. He has somewhat of a quarterback vision. He has courage because that offensive line's built like a wall. So at the same time, you know, look for open receivers. If you can't find anybody downfield, dump it off. You know, at least you're going to get three or four yards instead of taking a sack or throwing an incomplete pass. I'm going to play devil's advocate real, devil's advocate real quick in regards to Jacoby Brissett and how he's played this year. Do you think, and some people may say this, do you think that his inconsistencies in every single game or almost every game this year are due to the injuries at the wide receiver position and due to the tight ends, Eric Ebron, not being consistent like he says he should be or he can be? Um, well, for me, when you're naming – I mean, obviously there's injuries at the, at the wide receiver position, but I guess everybody's saying, you know, Tony Dungy, next man up. So if T.Y. Hilton goes down, Chester Rogers goes down, you know, you have Zach Pascoe, you know, Marcus Johnson. You have some guys I've never heard of before that are, you know, stepping in and, you know, making plays or at least trying to attempt to catch the ball. But, you know, Eric Ebron and Jack Doyle, I mean, Jack Doyle should be your number one and Eric Ebron, obviously number two. But I think Eric Ebron kind of runs around with his head on a swivel because he's either one afraid to catch the ball because he's going to get, you know, pretty much blasted or he's got stone hands to where he can't hold on to the ball. So. You know, I wouldn't say the inconsistency from Brissett is the wide receivers because you can dump it off to the – you know, you could dump it off to the running backs or just dump it off to Hilton or Ebron for three or four yards. But you see teams that have, you know, players that are getting off the practice squad that are averaging 40, 50 yards of reception, obviously because of their open and the quarterback isn't afraid to throw the ball. So, for me, watching the Colts and watching all the other teams, they have a cadence that they go through. So as the saying, you know, the saying goes, if it's not broke, don't fix it. So, you know, Brissette, they feel like they're getting by on the ground and they're getting by throwing here and there to where that's not going to hardly get the job done. 
to where in the last, you know, nine games of the season this time, the games that they've lost, they've been seven points or less to where, you know, we shoot back and be like, you know, they can't close out games. You know, the key thing is closing out a game, converting on third down, making sure you're you're the last person blasted through the line to, to stop, you know, whomever's running in the ball or whoever's trying to catch the ball. So the inconsistency, in my opinion, is not the wide receivers. Obviously, it could be the tight ends because the majority of them have been healthy. I think it's just more along the lines of completing the passes and not, you know, putting all your burdens on the running game. That's all, folks. That's all she wrote. 2019 is almost over. 2020 is just around the corner. Before we get out of here, we have some picks to get off for the week. So far with the bowl games that I have picked, I am 10 and 4. I went 5 and 3 between the games that were the 26th through the 28th of last week. We have bowl games Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of this upcoming week. I have a few games to pick before we close. On Monday of the Music Music City Bowl, I have Mississippi State over Louisville. On Monday as well, I have in, in the Orange Bowl, I have Florida over Virginia. On Tuesday, I have Arizona State over Florida State in the Sun Bowl. I have Navy over Kansas State in the Liberty Bowl. In the Alamo Bowl, I have Utah over Texas. Sam Ellinger said we're back, and that's definitely not it. Uh, on Monday... Wednesday, that is, on, on New Year's Day. In the Citrus Bowl, I have Alabama over Michigan. In the Outback Bowl, I have Auburn over Minnesota. In the Rose Bowl, I am going Oregon over Wisconsin. And in the Sugar Bowl, I am going Baylor over Georgia. Thank you for listening to another episode of the JAC Winners Podcast. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Dr. Underscore J25. Once again, that is at Dr. Underscore J-A-Y, the number two and the number five. Remember to always subscribe, rate, and review. It's a great way for people that are searching for a new podcast to listen to to come across this one. Then remember to always get the word out about the podcast via word of mouth. The things that we enjoy in life, we are more willing and somewhat wired to tell other people about. So no matter if this was your first episode or if you have been listening since episode one, be sure to let people know about the podcast. This has been episode 53 of the JC Wins Podcast. I'll see you next time.